In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Motherhood Incorporated proudly presents Military Mom Talk Radio, live on Toginet.com. Co-hosted by Tina Gonzalez and Sandra Back, the owner of Motherhood Incorporated. Military Mom Talk Radio is here with a powerful platform for women to discuss their ideas, issues, and concerns with respect to the military lifestyle. Military Mom Talk Radio encourages you to share your experiences of being a military wife and mother. This show is dedicated to educating your family about the resources that are available in both the public and private sector. And we'll be sharing helpful information from women around the world. We'll cover everything military, from helping a family member cope with post-traumatic stress disorder, to navigating government programs dealing with family issues, to the struggles of deployment, along with being a working mother, both in and out of the home. This is Military Mom Talk Radio, and here are your hosts, Tina Gonzalez and Sandra Beck. Hey, Military Moms, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm coming to you live from sunny 70-degree California. It's a beautiful day today, and um, we have Robin Boyd joining us today as uh, Tina Gonzalez is on leave for a while, and um, Robin, it's a little bit different where you're from today. (laughs) Well, we did have a mild day, but our mild day isn't in the 70s, it's down in the upper 30s, I think we finally got up to. We we actually saw a little melting of, of the tons of snow we have. And you we have, have a lot of snow in your backyard. Snow. You shared some pictures with me today. <laughs> I couldn't believe how much snow you still had. We do. We have quite a bit. But we do have pavement showing. The, the plows in our town are great. We have great uh, uh, street crews. So they, they we do have some pavement showing. So that's that's a positive sign. And then this time of year, when it starts to wane, you get all that brown, icky snow on the sides of the roads, and, and then yeah, you the really can't snow. wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, I haven't lived back east in so long, but, you know, I still remember what it was like to stand. Um, I hated standing on the bus stop because I swear the snowplow drivers, you know, we had a school bus stop that we all had to stand in and, like, you know, in our, you know, overalls, like, you know, the, the bib, um, <laughs> yeah. snow pants and then snow the pants. snow jacket and, <laughs> you know, the hat and the gloves, the whole uh-huh. thing. And then I swear the snowplow drivers, they would seriously, like, just throw all that, like, yucky slush over us. Just it happened because. way too many times. Oh, gosh. We have um, some little girls up in our little neighborhood, and they are out every single day all the time, and I love it because they are just outdoor girls, and they're so fun to watch. And they've been borrowing tunnels, and they've been building forts, and they you see them run from one side to the other, and, and they're just joyful to watch. It's just so great. And, boy, isn't that what being a kid is all about, just all that creativity and, and uh, all the, that imagination just spewing. <laughs> Well, and it's that the making tunnels. Like I used to love, we would make, you know, because I was from Buffalo, so we would have mm. snowpack, you know, especially, you know, um, you know, before global warming. But we used to have some serious snowpack that would, you know, stay at like three feet. And we could make these tunnels, you know, oh, where you yeah. breathe in and yeah. smooth it out so it would ice over. And, you know, we would build these, build on these tunnels in our backyard for days. Yes. And um, every yes. once in a while make an air hole, you know, because it would kind of get really creepy. <laughs> um, and we could always just stand up. I don't know why. 
we didn't. But right, right. But that would know it was fun to be a gopher for a while. Sure, sure. Yeah. Oh gosh, it it is. It's really fun, and um, I I love the fresh air in the winter time as much as I hate now as an older adult having to drive in this stuff. I just really love the fresh air. The the air is just so. Oh, I don't know. It's crisp and it's clean and yeah, it's cold yeah. and it's invigorating when you breathe in. Though, yes. you know, it's it, it it is awful on people who wear glasses because you know when I was in sixth oh, yeah. grade, I used to hate getting like from outside and get on the school bus and your lenses would fog up. Yeah, and you're like, please God, <laughs> let me find a seat. <laughs> Oh, let me have a Kleenex in my pocket. You try and wipe them off. Yeah, I wear glasses, so yeah, I did that. And then, of course, the face masks, and it gets all steamy and everything. Yep. Right, you forget, yep. right, it right, steams up. And then you get the little ice things formed out the outside of your face mask. <laughs> but, you know, I always thought, you know, it's funny, like now that my kids are being raised in California, they'll never know these things. And I always thought the whole world was covered by snow. I just oh. never assumed that there would be anywhere else in the world that wasn't under two feet of snow. <laughs> Well, I'll send you a snow. I, I I so wanted to figure out a way of sending you a snowman. Was it last week that we had such a blizzard? And I just wanted to find. A, I brought a little snowman in for my cats to play with, and they just were so unimpressed. But well, and that's the biggest <laughs> snowman we've ever been able to make. Here is like this teeny little thing about six inches high. Yeah, you was know, it it looks last like, year like three I think marshmallows. you sent me a picture that your kids were trying to make a snowman. Right, out of scraping up, you know, what little snow there was in the dirt. I mean, a couple of years ago we had a really good snow, um, you know, and that was really fun for me because I was at the school and I went to pick up my kids, and I'm like, look at the clouds are swirling, they're not moving, they're going in a circular direction. I said, we're going to get dumped on, and they're like, oh, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, look at I know from snow. Exactly. You know, I might not know anything about all the California lifestyle, but I do know snow, and sure enough, we got like two and a half feet. Oh, my goodness. It was amazing. I didn't realize it was that much. That's a lot. Yeah, that was only one year. It was like the biggest snow since like 1970 or some crazy thing like that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, we yeah, it is fun looking at the different areas of our country. It's so diverse. It's just amazing how on one day we can have blizzards and sun and rain pouring down and tornadoes. and I mean, we just have everything. It is, it is. Well, and it's so funny, Rob, because, you know, everybody out here says, like, oh, yeah, like, you know, you can lay on the beach, you know, and then, you know, go up into the snow, which is true. In theory, you could. They're about three hours, maybe yeah. two and a half hours sure. apart, too. Sure. I don't know anyone who's ever done that, but the quintessential California thing is, oh, who wouldn't want to live here? You can ski in the mountains, you know, during the evening and then or during the day and then go lay on the beach. And I'm like, in theory, you could. I just have never met another human being who's done that. I'm sure there are some, but that's oh, a lot did you of work. Really? A lot so of Rick work. just looks up from his computer and goes, I have. <laughs> okay, well, he has. Okay, well, apparently I don't know the right people. There we are. You've got to hang around with a different kind of circle, I guess. Huh? <laughs> I know. He's like putting his fingers up going, we're in California. Oh, we're amazing. Gosh. Oh, gosh. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I stand corrected. Not they are. He is. Ah, no, so I'm just going to throw my big old New Yorker right back at him. <laughs> Oh well, so we have a great guest today. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to meet this this woman. She's just incredible. Um, she is Pat Brisson, and uh, she is an acclaimed author. She has written over twenty over twenty books, I believe, for young people. Um, her picture book, The Summer My Father Was Ten, won a Christopher Medal. Um, her 
picture book, Mama Loves Me From Away, about a young girl whose mother is in prison, was uh, inspired her to volunteer at the state prison. That is so interesting to me. We have some of our Girl Scout troops who go in and um, actually have troops in the prison. So this must have really been uh, an empowering book for the families who are involved in, in this in this situation, um, since 19, excuse me, since 2003, she's coordinated Project Storybook that allows women to choose books to record and mail home to their children. And the book we're going to talk about today is her most recent picture book, Sometimes We Were Brave. Um, and this has received an honor um, from the picture book category uh, by the Society of School Librarians. So this, uh, there is so much we have to talk about with Pat. Well, I know, and Robin, she had sent me a copy of this book, and it was really an interesting thing because, you know, stuff comes in the mail for my company all the time, and, you know, my kids go to the door, and they're like, ooh, you know, who's this yeah, mom, and, we, we you know, is it for me? And it was a yeah. picture book, and oh. my seven-year-old, Max, picked it up, he's like, mom, I'm brave, and, and um, we sat down, and we actually read the book as part of mm-hmm. the school project, and he actually got all teary-eyed in the beginning because he's, mom, that's exactly how I feel when I have to go to my dad's house. And it was so powerful because she got, you know, she was trying to, you know, talk about the special challenges military children face. Mm -hmm. But, you know, anybody who has to be separated from their parent for whatever reason, whether it's prison, whether it's distance or illness, Mm -hmm. um, you know, she really has a knack for, like, hitting the nail on the head. Because I think we were both, like, all red-faced by the time the book was over. Yeah, yeah, and that emotion is there, and whether it's, like you say, no matter what the separation is, the separation is there, and that's the emotion that kids have difficulty uh, verbalizing, and when they can't verbalize, then, of course, then the behavior changes to try to um, absorb the the emotion that they can't quite verbalize, and that's when um, it's so hard sometimes to figure out what's going on with a kid. Um, well, and they get and frustrated. To get to yeah. You know, yeah. they get frustrated. They can't express to you what they want, you know, and then you as a parent don't know what they need, so you're both, like, driving right. blind on the freeway with your right. headlights on, and then they get mad, and, like, my little one, uh, my little one, when he's frustrated, he will punch and kick, and that's a really overt sign, you know, that I need to figure out what he needs, which isn't mm-hmm. always easy, but my older one tends to hide behind furniture, and I'm like, you know, okay, well, when they exhibit these things... I need to figure out, like the master detective, to try to figure out from a four- and seven-year-old what's bothering them. Right. And they're big issues. You know, Pat Brisson talks about big issues. You know, these aren't like, oh, some kid's picking on me from school, which I know can be a big issue. Mm-hmm. But there's not a lot of resource books out there for families that are suffering from separation, regardless of the nature of the separation. Right, right. And I think this is one of the things that's so uh, beautiful about our day and age is that we have um, a lot more access to learning of titles of, of various kinds of books. Before, I, I, I was, um, when I was in college and learning uh, reading resources and whatnot for children, it would be very difficult to, you, you'd really have to spend a whole lot of time at a library and hope that that library had had access to a lot of different books. And and this way, we just have such a resource at our fingertips, and we're able to find so many more books and so many more ways to enrich our kids. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm so thankful, you know, that Pat, um, not only did, you know, Pat sent me a copy of that book because I think it, you know, it further opened communication between me and my older son, you know, which we probably over-communicate, but it was a good thing. And, you know, mm-hmm. and I will always have a special place in my heart um, because she gave him the voice to talk to me about some things that were bothering him based on reading that book. So I would encourage Wonderful. anyone out there to look up Sometimes We Were Brave. We're going to welcome Pat Brisson after the break. She is the author of Sometimes We Were Brave, and um, she's got some other really great books, and she is an amazing woman, and we will catch you guys after the break. Oh, Robin, it's dead air, dead air. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) There we are. There's tunes. There we go. There's the We could have started singing this. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I would know the national anthem about as good as Christina Aguilera. I'm sure I would mess it up. Are you a military mom looking for help in dealing with the system? Keeping the home fires burning? That's what we're here for. It's Military Mom Talk Radio with Sandra Beck and Tina Gonzalez. And we'll be right back after these. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Pinrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Hello everybody, this is Pete Dix asking if you'll join me on Beatles and Beyond on this radio station. What a show I've got in store for you. Not only all the Apple reissues that I'll be looking at, some very rare tracks indeed, a report on my evening watching and listening to Neil Innes of the Ruttles and the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. So please join me, Pete Dix with Beatles and Beyond on this radio station. Welcome back to Military Mom Talk Radio on toginet.com. Covering topics to help on the home front. With help from those who know how the system works and how to work the system. It's more fun than a sale at the BX. Now, let's get back to it. It's Military Mom Talk Radio. Here again are your hosts, Tina Gonzalez and Sandra Back. Well, welcome back, Military Moms. This is Robin Boyd, and I'm in for Tina. Um, and Sandra and I are just getting ready to welcome someone who's very, very special in the children's literature world. And, uh, Sandra, you said you and your son were able to share this book together. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Pat, welcome. Do we have Pat with us? I'm here. There you oh, are. There we go. Okay. Pat. <laughs> Hi, Pat. Welcome. Hello to both of you, and thank you for having me on the show. 
Oh, we're so excited. Well, you are a name that is well-known in children's and young people's literature, but we'd like to get to know you as well. Um, you yourself are a mom, is that correct? Yes, I have four sons. They're grown sons now. Um, and I have um, a granddaughter, a grandson, an honorary granddaughter, and another granddaughter on the way. So all of oh, a sudden I have a lot of exciting. girls in my life after raising four sons. <laughs> that must be wonderful. Actually. It is. I love it. Yeah, yeah. It must be. Are they close by uh, proximity-wise? Are you able to visit a lot with them? No, unfortunately, um, our son and daughter-in-law and granddaughter live in California, and we live in New Jersey. Uh-huh. Uh, our grandson uh, with our son live up in um, Rhode Island, and that's where our honorary granddaughter is, too. However, the new baby that's coming in April will be in New Jersey. So for that, oh. we are very grateful. <laughs> that's great. I, Skype is wonderful to a, only to a certain de- degree, and I think sometimes you just need to smell that baby powder. <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, Pat, what is your background. Um, I understand you were an educator. Yes, I taught fourth grade for a few years, and then I had my kids, and I went back to library school. So then I was a reference librarian for about 10 years, and then I left that job so I could concentrate more on writing. And uh, and I also do school visits as a, as a visiting author, you know, going to schools and talking about writing and talking about um, reading and the importance of books in our lives. Absolutely, a very important part of our lives, isn't it? Were um, were you in library science at the elementary school level or in a public school environment? I had my certification as an elementary school librarian, but I actually took a job in a public library, so I worked in the uh, reference department. Oh, I see. Oh, my gosh. You know what? I worked in a public library, too, till I got fired for talking too much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we fire people for that. <laughs> well, you do when you're loud. <laughs> okay, well, I guess lady, I was quiet enough. <laughs> yeah, the lady who was my boss, I'm going to honor her today. Her name was Mrs. Robillard, but I used to call her Mrs. Robillard just to make her mad. Oh. You wonder why I got fired. <laughs> Maybe that's why you got fired. It wasn't so much the loudness part, was it? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, sometimes people in libraries, they don't have a really good sense of humor. <laughs> I think ours do. I, I, I don't just think I had a good sense of humor, so... I'm hoping oh, that the good. rest of the librarians do, too. Sometimes you just need that to make it through the day. Seriously, I did. Yeah. Well, I, I think didn't make it through the day. <laughs> some of the libraries, I think, nowadays are really embracing different uh, approaches in that I know our library has Guitar Hero uh, things for the kids, and we have, uh, we have so many different events from our children's department that, that's just amazing. Oh yes, and and that's important. But I, I have a friend who um, who is an, also a writer, and she says it just kills her when she's in the library and she sees a mother with young children taking out video games and videos and you know DVDs and and, and there aren't any books in the bag. Um, oh, and she likes yeah. to remind people that yeah, books are important too. You know, the mm-hmm. technology is is great, but we're we're still big into books. Well, I guess my take on it would be. The, just the fact that you're opening the door for more than just something that might have have been um, typocast as being boring. And, and I think when the door becomes open, kids are welcomed 
you know, for for many different reasons. And then when they're there for the video game one day, they might be there another day because there's a great author coming to do a sem- a little workshop or something. So I guess I kind of see it in a different way. I I, I just see how many kids spend time at our library for mm-hmm. so many different reasons, and I guess I guess that's. Uh, my approach on it, but well, and I think all those reasons are good reasons. But if it's um, only for technology and not for books, then I think they're missing out on something. Oh yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Now let me ask you. I know this is a little bit off subject. For sometimes we were brave. What do you think about the the newsreaders? Like I have a Kindle and I have a Nook. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I love that the Nook color, you can look at cookbooks and children's books. Um, is that an okay marriage for you between technology and reading? Because I have the same thing with you. It's like I get tired of people in my library. Like I look and they have this huge media section. And nobody, you know, and I see them taking out movies and games, and I don't see a whole lot of people taking out books. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't... I don't mind technology. I, I think that uh, readers and Kindles and, and you know all that that's fine. Um, but I don't. I really don't want us to lose books. That's that's all. I, and I don't have any. Uh, I don't have an electronic reader, so I'm not that familiar with them. I know they're out there, but I also know that publishing has taken a taken a hit because of them, especially picture books, because it's been a while before. It's been a few years since they figured out how to get picture books into an electronic format, and so publishers weren't looking for picture books. They were looking for more like middle-grade uh, fiction. And oh, yeah, like we would buy, we downloaded all the Magic Tree Houses. Mm-hmm, yeah. You know, that was about it. You couldn't go under that, you know, because there just weren't, there wasn't the, you know, that grayed-out scale makes it really hard to see the picture books. And your picture well, book, the Sometimes We Were Brave, has wonderful art. Yes, I think it's very comforting art. And I, I I love picture books, and, and that's primarily what I write. And so it's been difficult. It's been difficult selling picture book manuscripts because publishers were more interested in, in e-books. And right, they, weren't, they weren't doing too many picture books in that format. And it's true. It's like I still, you know, I work with Simon & Schuster and HarperCollins, and, you know, they're clients of my company. Mm-hmm. And um, I see the call out. Everything is, the, and now it's all the 99-cent e-book. Mm-hmm. You know what? What can be cheaply produced and put out electronically? Because when you think about it from a publisher standpoint, there's nothing to ship. There's no fulfillment. There's no, you know, um, there's no taking really presence of any object and having to deliver it to the consumer. It's all electronic. So it's very exactly. interesting. Yeah. How do the pictures translate on the Kindles uh, when you have a picture book like? Like what Pat is is sharing? With Not us. great. Like we have we have the complete works of Curious George. That was the yeah. only one that I found available that looked somewhat decent on the Kindle because the Kindle is a monochrome screen, mm. and um, you really lose you lose a lot of the resolution, and you lose because it's really not designed for pictures. It's 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 you know e ink. It's it's designed for text. And um, but the Nook color, I mean, that rocks. I mean, it's but it's again, it's electronic and it's it's more. You don't get the feel of the book. You don't get the smell of the book. All those different things. Yeah, yeah. I do love browsing a bookstore, i got to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and I, you know what's funny, guys, and you know, then we'll get back to your book because that's why you're here, Pat. But, um, <laughs> if I really love a book on my Kindle, I'll buy the hard copy. 
So I end up buying both because the electronic version is so easy. It's like click, 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 and all of a sudden the book is in your hands. Mm-hmm. And so from a convenience standpoint and a storage standpoint, you know, I'm a, an avid reader, so I will load up on, you know, sometimes 10 books a week. And um, I can store them electronically a lot easier than I can store them physically. But if I really like a book, I'll still go buy the hard copy. Oh, well, that's good to hear. Well, I'm also thinking, too, I know what it's like to cuddle up with a couple of kids in your lap, and I can't imagine a Kindle being as easy to share pictures, let alone the words, and there again, as you're reading the words to the children, that's their first awareness of these words. They're recognizing the repetitiveness of reading the story over and over again, and they're starting to follow along, and they are starting to get their reading skills underway. I, I can only imagine that... It's harder on a Kindle just from that point of view. It is. I mean, I would just read aloud to my kids from it. It's not really a sharing device. Yeah, and a book and actually, really we needs were fighting. to be The reason we got the nook is because Max and I, my seven-year-old, were fighting. He had all his magic tree houses on there, and I had all my books. Well, we were fighting over who got to use the Kindle, like in the car or on the plane. Or, so then finally I'm like, I'll get another one. But then I'm like, you know what, I'm going to try the nook. Yeah, yeah. And are the, are the software, is the, are the books interchangeable? Can, no. If you have one for the Kindle, you can't read it on the Nook. Correct. They're different. Yeah. They're different, um, completely different protocols. Yeah, yeah. Pat, when your kids were little, did you ever have times when you were separated from them? Uh, no, I didn't. Yeah. Uh, but a number of my books, I, I, as I look over um, the books that I've written, a number of them deal with separation from mother and between mother and child. I, I wrote a a very short novel about a girl whose mother died of cancer. It mm-hmm. was called Sky Memories and how during their last year together they gathered Sky Memories. So that was about separation. Mama Loves Me From Away, the one about the girl whose mother is in prison, mm-hmm. is about separation. I have another one. It's called I Remember Miss Perry, which is about a boy whose teacher is killed in a car accident, and that's about separation. So I'm not exactly sure why this is such a big issue Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes out in my writing because I didn't really experience it. I wasn't a, apart from my mother, and I have not really been apart from my children. But I think I can. I think it would just hurt so much. I think that's. Um, I think that's why I can write about it because I think it would be a big problem for me. I, I'm sure it is. Well, I was not separated too, too much from my children either. Um, I have two children, and when they were little, the most would be an overnight, if that. <laughs> and I remember one overnight, my husband and I had had something to go to, and the children were just fine at our neighbor's house, and um, we came back early because <laughs> we just we missed them. And uh, we wanted to be back home with them. So mm-hmm. um, I know we're uh, getting ready for a break, uh, Pat, and we do want to talk a lot more about the what brought Sometimes We Were Brave to your heart and then to your pen. Um, we're here with Pat Brisson. Um, she is a noted, acclaimed author uh, of children's and young people's books, and we want to learn a lot more about the book Sometimes We Were Brave. Um, you can see a lot more of her work at her website, www.patbrisson.com, and that's P-A-T-B-R-I-S-S-O-N. 
com, and uh, she has many, many books to share with her readers and now with our readers. So we look forward to uh, being back a few more minutes, and we also want you to remind you to check our website, www.militarymomtalkradio.com, for more information about all of our guests. We'll be back in a moment on Military Mom Talk Radio. Are you a military mom looking for help in dealing with the system, keeping the home fires burning? That's what we're here for. It's Military Mom Talk Radio with Sandra Beck and Tina Gonzalez. And we'll be right back after these. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on Toginet with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey, Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 Central on toginet.com. Put a boot in your ass, it's a- Welcome back to Military Mom Talk Radio on toginet.com, covering topics to help on the home front, with help from those who know how the system works and how to work the system. It's more fun than a sale at the BX. Now, let's get back to it. It's Military Mom Talk Radio. Here again are your hosts, Tina Gonzalez and Sandra Beck. Courtesy. Welcome back, Military Moms. This is Robin Boyd here with Sandra Beck and Pat Brisson, author of Sometimes We Are Brave. Sandra, how's your cold doing? You know, I'm hanging in there. I'm trying not to hack up along on the air because <laughs> that does not make for good radio. <laughs> so well, I'm going to make quietly. some 
tea so the three of us can share a little tea while we're finishing out the show. How's that? That sounds great. In the third segment, I want to remind everybody we do have Melissa from the Department of Defense coming on. So um, I neglected to say that in our opening credits, but she is um, at the ready. So, uh, But right now we should go back to Pat because it's Pat's time. Pat's time. Pat, one of the things that I did want to talk a little bit about uh, in in getting ready for all of your books, um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the importance of literature and literacy. I think... Children need stories in their lives for so many reasons, and not only their literacy proficiency, but to expand their horizons and their interests and their dreams. How does reading to children empower them? Oh, I think it's the most important thing you can do for your child. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- it's very important to have books in the home. Studies have shown that the more books that are in the home, the better kids will do in school. Reading to children uh, opens up to them different vocabulary, different vocabulary than we would use in our everyday talking conversation. Um, different word, I mean, my granddaughter knew the word, she was like 19 months old, she knows the word zebra and penguin. Well, she doesn't run across a lot of them in California. Yeah. So yeah. it's only from books that she knows these words. And I, I just think that's very important. I think the more words you have, the more you can think, because I think we think in words. And if we don't have the language, it's even difficult to... Um, to think more clearly. So I think reading is very important. I, all of our, the rest of the classes that you will take in school are based upon your ability to, to do reading. So I think it's very, very important. I, re- I used to do reading groups with kids. I'd work um, in the special ed department, so I'd go into classes and I would pull out kids to do some reading groups. Mm-hmm. And we would do some of what was on the curriculum. But then we'd get onto these tangents, and it was so wonderful. And I'm sure some of the teachers would get impatient with me, but I'm, I would just be fascinated with where the story would take us. Sure. Because we would begin talking about something, and it would lead to something else, and then their imaginations would go. And then, of course, the time would be up, and we'd have to say, well, we had got through half of it. But, we <laughs> but somehow I just valued that opportunity to just reach in and, and, and hear what their little minds were doing, and it was wonderful. And I think that's important because they're making connections with the, with the literature that they're being exposed to. It's not just something that exists outside themselves. It's something that connects with them. So I think what you did was just right. Well, I hope so. I have a lot of kids that still stay in touch with me, so I guess I didn't do too badly. Um, I've got to share this from your website. I, I went through uh, and enjoyed your website so much. And once oh, again, you. it's uh, com. And in your bio was this lovely little um, little portion that I've got to share. And Sister Mary Hugh was, in fact, your second-grade teacher. Is that correct? Yes. Well, Very one, important person to me. <laughs> one day, Sister Mary Hugh was reading a story to Pat's class. It was about a storm. The rain poured down, lightning streaked across the sky, thunder boomed. Pat could see the storm in her mind. It seemed so real. When the story was over, it was time to go home. A boy in the class went to the cloakroom and brought Sister Mary Hugh's umbrella to her desk. I'm going to email over to what email are you Sister on? Mary Hugh looked surprised. But, Andrew, she said, I don't need my umbrella. The sun is shining. Everybody uh, laughed. Everybody except Pat. If you can pronounce She was getting ready to bring Sister Her brain boots. 
that's how real the storm seemed to her. Pat never forgot that story and how it had power and magic. She never forgot her second grade teacher either because your story, Hot Fudge Hero, is dedicated to Sister Mary Hugh who taught Pat to read and show her the power of stories. I just thought that was wonderful. Well, Sister Mary Hugh was very special, and I think that it, I think it does show the power of stories. Um, and I think that's that's a magical experience, and that's one of the things that kids learn on their parents' laps if they're lucky enough to have parents who read to them. Oh, yeah, so important. Now, how did sometimes we were brave come to into your heart and into your pen? Well, I uh, as a as a children's author, I do visiting author presentations in schools, and I was invited down to uh, Guantanamo Bay and also to Panama. I talked to kids from uh, Department of Defense dependent schools. And that was the first time. I'm not from a military family, so that was the first time I was in very close contact with military families, and I was really struck by what a tight um, subculture that was, and I was kind of interested in, in what it would be like. But... There was also, I overheard another author talking to a little kid, and she said, and where are you from? And this little child said, I'm from Germany. And, and I thought, oh, my gosh, here's a kid who's never lived in the United States, an American kid who's never lived in the United States. And I got to thinking about what sacrifices these children are making. Um, so for a few years after that, I would, I would think um, about military kids and would just sort of hold them in my heart in a different way than I had before I got to know them in that way. Mm. <clears throat> and um, I, I don't know. I got, to, I got to thinking about it one time and, and thinking about how they're, I mean, we have a, mil, we have a volunteer uh, military service, but these kids haven't volunteered. Their parents have volunteered. That's true. But they are, they are making a tremendous sacrifice um, that they are just, Thrust has been thrust upon them. They have not volunteered to do that, and they are giving up months or even years at a time with their sure. parents at a very important time in their lives. And I realized that that was a tremendous sacrifice that these kids were making. Yeah. And I didn't see very many books. You know, as a librarian, I was exposed to a lot of children's books, and I did not see very many um, books about military families or military kids out there. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I wrote the story, but it was not an easy sell. I sent it to one editor who said, and when I said, you know, I don't see many books about military kids, and she said, well, maybe there's a reason for that. And I thought, huh? What? Like, well, yeah. what's the reason? But her, her feeling was, well, if nobody else has done it, then I don't know that I want to be the first one to do it. Oh, my. Um, because maybe they're not successful for a reason. Well, I, I just, I'm coming at it from a teacher and a librarian's perspective, and I feel like, all children deserve to see their lives reflected in their literature. And even if a kid will never have a parent in, in the armed forces, I think that they will grow and learn from being exposed to a book like this because they will um, be able to empathize better and they'll be able to see this child's life um, from the, from the perspective that they can gain from from reading a book, because I think when you read a book or have a book read to you and shared at that kind of close, intimate uh, level, you you can empathize more. You can put Absolutely. yourself in the place of that character. And I I hope that kids will say, "Wow, 
I, I didn't think about that. Yeah, they're, her mom's gone for, for months at a time, or, wow, that means his, he doesn't get to see his dad for a long time. Right, right. And we should say the story is about Jerome, correct? Is Jerome a real person in your, in your life? Well, um, when kids ask me if the story is true, I like to say it's a true story, but it didn't really happen. So, no, Jerome is not a real person in my life. Uh-huh. But when people read my books, I hope that they will say, oh, this is so real. Yeah. Life is yeah. just like this. And I hope it resonates with their hearts and that they, um, that they feel that this is true. This is truth on a different level, not because it really happened, but because it's the truth of a lot of people's experience. And uh, Jerome's mother in this story is is serving in the Navy. Is that correct? Yes. yes. So she he is separated from his mom. And how does he know um, how to become brave? How does the the story help him be brave? Well, in the story, um, he has a dog, Duffy, and I use Duffy sort of as a um, a mirror of Jerome's experience. So he talks about well when he says to say goodbye to his mom. He's, you know, he's crying and is upset, and and um, Duffy is a little bit upset too because, of course, Jerome's upset, and he knows that they're going to uh, miss her a lot. And one of the things he does is he keeps her picture uh, next to his bed so that he doesn't forget what she looks like. Uh. And I've often thought about this when I um, when I'm away from somebody that I love, I try to call call up and I'm not a very visual person I'm not artistic and I'm not good at memorizing faces and that's always one of my fear that I will forget what somebody looks like and I thought imagine if a kid has that you know has that fear that she's going to be gone so long what if I forget what she looks like and so he keeps a picture of his mom next to his bed so he doesn't forget what she looks like and he shows it to Duffy so that she won't forget either and um, he talks about how he's at home with his with his dad. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes when I talk to kids in schools, I say, you know, how Jer- Jerome's kind of lucky because he doesn't have to change schools. He doesn't have to change where he lives. That sometimes kids have both parents in the military and they're both going to be deployed and they have to go live with grandparents or an aunt and uncle or friends or whatever. So not only are they away from their parents, but they're away from the home that they're used to. They're away from the school that they're familiar with. So it's that kind of sacrifice that kids are being uh, made to ask. So through the story, um, there are different sections. Like one was sometimes we get surprises, and his dad gives him a set of markers. He decides to make a book for his mom while she's away, and Duffy gets a surprise, too. It's a rubber hot dog, and oh. he decides to hide it behind the couch. Um, <laughs> hey, Pat, and- I hate to cut you off, um, you know, because I really did love your book a ton, and, you know, we do read it as part of our nightly reading. Not every night, but uh, but I do need to cut you off because we are coming up on to break, and um, we want to thank you for being on the show today. And we oh, will definitely you. promote your books from our website. Uh, we're going to be welcoming in our final segment as a perfect compliment to today, Miss Marilee Fitzgerald. She's the acting director for the Department of Defense Education Activity, and her schools educate nearly 90,000 school-aged children of military personnel, so I know that she's going to have a lot of great things to add to today's show. I would like everyone to check out Sometimes We Were Brave. It's a great book, and um, when we get back after the break, Robin and I will welcome Marilee Fitzgerald.
Are you a military mom looking for help in dealing with the system? Keeping the home fires burning? That's what we're here for. It's Military Mom Talk Radio with Sandra Beck and Tina Gonzalez. And we'll be right back after these. Hello everybody, this is Pete Dix asking if you'll join me on Beatles and Beyond on this radio station. What a show I've got in store for you. Not only all the Apple reissues that I'll be looking at, some very rare tracks indeed, a report on my evening watching and listening to Neil Innes of the Ruttles and the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. So please join me, Pete Dix with Beatles and Beyond on this radio station. Get ready for The Athlete Within You with Mike Margolis on Toginet, Monday nights at 9, 8 Central, 6 Pacific. Do you know about the game within the game? You've heard about sports psychology, mental toughness, mental training, and preparation. Well, athletes from all over the country have been seeking out Mike Margolis for close to 35 years for his expertise in helping them live up to their potential. He's worked with athletes from professional football to elite-level figure skating and every sport in between. They've all sought his counsel and unique teaching style to learn about the game within the game or what sports psychology and mental training can do to help them become the athlete they want to be. Mike works one-on-one with athletes. He trains them, puts on seminars, and conducts workshops for coaches, athletes, and businesses. For more on Mike, his book, and the show, check out his website, theathletewithinyou.com. Then, come join us as we discover The Athlete Within You with Mike Margolis. Monday nights at 9, 8 Central, 6 Pacific on toginet.com. Welcome back to Military Mom Talk Radio on toginet.com. Covering topics to help on the home front with help from those who know how the system works and how to work the system. It's more fun than a sale at the BX. Now, let's get back to it. It's Military Mom Talk Radio. Here again are your hosts, Tina Gonzalez and Sandra Beck. Hey, Military Moms. This is Sandra Beck coming to you with, uh, I don't know if it's laryngitis, bronchitis, or pneumonia. You can take your pick at this point. Um, And Robin, wasn't Pat a great guest? Amazing guest. And her website just has so many diverse books. I really encourage everybody to visit patbrisson.com to see some of the other topics. Very, very interesting topics for young people, young children, and young people, young readers. Well, it's so great. You know, we had Pat Brisson on, and we're about to welcome Marilee Fitzgerald. She's the acting director for the Department of Defense Education Activity. And, um, you know, um, let's bring Marilee on. Marilee, are you there? Hi, how are you? Oh, wonderful. You know, I love the acronym D-O-D-E-A because the first show we ever did at Military Mom, we had, who was the lady from NACRA, Rick? Do you remember? Ollie Smith from NACRA, and I tripped over, like, N-A-C-R-A-A, and I couldn't get it right. I don't think and, I got it right the whole show. M-I-C-A-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E. I'm sorry, I had to do that. Well, it's probably one of the more simpler acronyms of the Department of Defense. It is. It is. But I still don't understand quite what you do. The Department of Defense Education Activity, can you share with our listeners yes. what, what that agency does? I would be happy to. Um, I have the privilege and honor, actually, of leading a school system, which uh, is uh, 
provides a pre-K through 12th grade education to the school-aged children of our military personnel who are assigned to military bases overseas and to a select number, about 64 schools here in the United States. That is so an it's, enormous... It's through 12, pre-K through 12 public school system. You know, as, as our military families take a tour in, in Japan, Korea, or Germany, these schools in the local countries do not provide an education in English or a comparable U.S. public education. So the Department of Defense has set up these schools, which um, are really a blended experience. They have the best of our U.S. curriculum and then are flavored with some of the uniqueness of our, of our communities in which we reside uh, to provide our children a, a standard pre-K through 12th grade education. Wow. Wow. I mean, it's just amazing when I think, of, first of all, you have an enormous amount of responsibility. That's like, you know, right off the bat, I think of like, oh, my God, you're responsible for 90,000 school-aged children. Um, not totally responsible, but, I mean, this has sure. got to be very, very challenging because you have students on in the schools, but then you have um, school-aged children of military families who do not attend your schools. That's going to be very right. difficult. That is. There are actually about 1.2 million children um, of uh, military personnel who are in our public, private, and homeschool settings. So the Department of Defense education activity really educates a very small number of those children. Now, many will come through our school system as part of their, their military family member's assignment, but you're quite right. The challenge for all of um, our public schools is dealing with high mobility, the transition of our children in and out of school systems. I mean, Pat mentioned in her book, uh, or in her presentation, of how her book is trying to address, through Duffy and Jerome, some of the issues that creep into a family's um, life as a result of deployments and even high mobility. And I will tell you that, that these feelings that she talked about of separation, loneliness, and separation anxiety come to school with the children as well. And so in our school system, of course, we educate nothing but our military children, so we're accustomed to seeing it. But certainly as our children migrate to public school systems, of which they may be in the minority, and maybe oftentimes in the vast mi minority of, of children, uh, oftentimes their needs uh, don't get addressed in the way that, um, that we would like to see. So uh, it is an issue for us. How do you balance the standards, the curriculum standards, uh, with so many kids coming in from different areas and then leaving your uh, overseas school systems to go into, say, stateside school systems? That must be a challenge. It is. That, actually, that's one of the single most formidable challenges, I would say, that we face in the Department of Defense, and that is ensuring that our children move from one school system to another without a gap in learning, uh, mm -hmm. particularly in mathematics, mathematics, for example, that they don't mm -hmm. move into a school district in which they've already taken polynomials, you know, and, and so our children miss it. Mm -hmm. That's very, very important. And also, even at the high school level, when you think about children who are taking the third or fourth year of a foreign language, they move into a community stateside, and that language is not available in the school system in which they are. Mm -hmm. So planning for these transitions of military children is something that we are trying to, one, do a better job in doing, and we've established an office here in the Department of Defense which uh, helps our families 
uh, planned for the relocation of their children into other school districts. In addition, our governors got together some time ago and they made a compact that they would try to ease the transition academically of our military children. And so certain courses are waived or viewed as comparable. So if, you, if our child moves into Virginia, perhaps they don't have to take the state history course of Virginia if they've already taken you know, history of the United States generally. And so these agreements have been reached with about 40 states in the United States, which allow our military children to ease into the school systems. However, it remains a challenge. You have to work it parent by parent by parent. And we advise our parents that as soon as they know where they are going, um, that they contact us. Even though they may not know the community in which they are living, we know something about the educational requirements of the state. So if someone mm -hmm. is moving into the state of Virginia, there are certain things that we can tell parents. Mm -hmm. We know generally what the standards are. We can align those standards with where our standards are, and we can fairly certainly predict some of the gaps for the children. Again, it varies somewhat by, by community, but we can get pretty close to help our parents uh, plan for that transition. Now, what happens if a parent has, like, a concern or an issue with the schools? I mean, they're, you know, you're going from one school to the other, and, but they're all under that same Department of Defense Education Activity umbrella. What, what does a parent do when they have a, a challenge or a concern? If they're in the DOD schools, we have a great system of redress for parents, and we always say that the, the best place to start is at the school. So the lowest possible level. So if there's a disagreement or a concern with the teacher, you start with the teacher. You can move through the school, which would get you to the school principal. We have a district superintendent. But in each one of our schools, we have a formal system. It's called a school advisory committee or council made up of members of, of the community, including parents, teachers, school administrators. And they that's the first step outside of a regular chain where an issue can get addressed. Because sometimes an issue of a parent is not within the control of a school. So for example, let's say they want an additional teacher to teach art or music. A school may want that too, but they don't have the resources to provide that or the authority to make that decision. They can put that into the school advisory council, and that comes up through a chain. And at some point, if it cannot be resolved at the installation level, or at a major command level comes right to my office through a, another council and we look at the issue and decide it and can get right back to that parent. And this process of elevating all the way through to the director of the Department of Defense Education Activity allows access, number one, for us, and number two, allows many folks to weigh in to try and help resolve an issue. But again, the most powerful, um, the most powerful tool that a parent has is to try and get that concern resolved at the lowest possible level. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what we generally advise. But we have many formal avenues and informal avenues for our parents. Any school in the DOD education activity, a parent can, can easily access that information. Either it's, it's actually published on our website, and so it's made available for parents, or they can ask at the school. Mm. So, you know, you clearly know your stuff, which is why you're in charge. Um, so my 
question for you because you know we do have a lot of families that listen to this show, particularly you know obviously moms because it's military mom talk radio. But can you give us some advice um, as to how parents can get involved and best support their children's education? I mean, regardless of whether or not they attend the DODEA schools or not. I mean, what is you're clearly you know an educator at heart. You know what. Um, a lot of our families need, what would be your best piece of advice that you can give our listeners today? Well, you know, um, our, the, the, the first teacher of children is a parent. So parents have a lot of information. In fact, oftentimes they know a great deal more about and have insight about their children. It's quite important for the, for, for, that must come into the school. So my first advice to any parent is to form a relationship with the teacher and talk to the teacher. Tell the teacher what's going on. Your previous guest, Pat, talked about some of the the feelings that our children have when parents deploy. We don't routinely get that information unless a parent tells us. And we know how the, the impact of a deployment can be on children's education. So we ask our parents, if there's something major going on in your life, and it could even be something like the death of a pet, which can be very traumatic for children. It could be the fact that there's an illness in the family. The teachers should be made aware of this so they can help understand these issues as they affect um, the children. The second thing I tell our parents is send your children to school. We've noticed some alarming trends in the absences of our children. Now, sometimes we're our own worst enemies because we're rather benevolent and we understand that when parents come back home, we want our children to be with our parents and we would like our children to visit their grandparents and all of that. But the truth be told here, the most important one of the most dominant factors on student achievement is being is, is going to school. Children have to learn. So I say to parents, be tough. Send the children to school. I don't mean to send your children to school when they're not when they're not feeling well, but that should be a pretty high bar standard. Children need to to go to school. I would also say to the parents that they should help if, as to the extent that they can. They should attend our parent teacher conferences. That's an important time for the parent and the teachers to discuss the specific issues as they relate to a child. And in our military communities, they are well-equipped to try and reach our parents in many different settings, whether they can do that at home, by phone, or they actually visit school. But it's important to come to school. We like our parents come to school. The schools are the center of the community and oftentimes a stabilizing force in a world that is um, that is uh, characterized by mobility and can be stressed by the sheer uh, mission requirements. And so school you can know, be You know, Mary Lee, I hate to cut you off. I hate to cut you yeah. off. Um, I would love to bring you back um, as a guest for another show because I think you have a lot to share with our audience, uh, but we are out of time. And um, I want to thank you for being on the show. This is Miss Marilee Fitzgerald, the Acting Director of the Department of Defense Education Activity. We also want to thank Pat Brisson for being on the show today and promoting her new book, Sometimes We Were Brave. You guys can check uh, her out at patbrisson.com. Tune in to iTunes and pick up our old shows. Check us out on TogiNet or go to Military Mom Talk Radio. We will be back next week with another action-packed and informational show. 